I'm glad you guys are here to join us this morning. We're going to continue our series on relationships. This morning we're going to look at one that at first might seem a little bit different than what we have studied so far. So far we have talked about our relationship with God or with our spouse, our kids, our friends, our parents. This morning we're going to talk about our relationship to the nations. And by relationship to the nations, I'm not talking about like our government's relationship to the governments of other countries. I'm talking about us and our own relationships with individual men and women from other countries, from other nationalities. God wants us to connect with them and form friendships with them. The good news is probably every one of us in this room has some sort of connection in life to someone who is from another country. That's actually one of the things I love about Bryan College Station, that, that we have so many people from other countries living among us. I mean, it is really crazy. Here we are in like a relatively small city in the middle of Texas ranch country, and yet we get to do life with so many people from other countries. That's amazing. It's mind-blowing. I didn't have that growing up. I grew up in Tomball. It's about an hour south of here. But when I was growing up, it wasn't like a suburb of Houston yet. It was its own little country town in the middle of farm country. And and I didn't grow up knowing people from other countries. We didn't have a lot of friends or other families who were from other nations. I didn't have friends who were born in other countries. It wasn't because my parents were trying to isolate me at all. It's just there weren't many around us. And so I didn't grow up with that. Totally different today. So my kids, Luke and Gracie, they're 10-year-old twins. They both have friends from other countries. One of my son's best friends in the whole world was born and raised in Israel. One of my daughter's best friends in the whole world is right down the street from us was born in China. And so my kids are growing up with a much bigger perspective on, on the nations, on the world. And I love that. They, they believe that it is normal for all of us to have relationships and deep friendships with people who were born in other countries. And, and that's exactly right. That's what God wants for all of us, is to have more of that, not less of that. God wants us all to have deep friendships with people who are not Americans, who are not from our country. Now, why is that? Why does God want us to go to the effort to to care about and build deep friendships with people of other nationalities? Let's, Let's be honest, it's not always easy to do that. Often they like foods that we're not big fans of, or they have customs that we don't understand, or, or we, we have a hard time understanding their speech, or they might have a hard time understanding our speech. So usually it's simply easier to just hang out with people who are exactly like us, or even easier yet, just stay on your couch and watch TV. Why go to the effort of connecting with and building friendships with people from other countries? That's where I want to start this morning. I want to give you three reasons why God wants you to grow your relationships with people from other nations, other nationalities. So first reason why God wants you to to care deeply about and become friends with people who are foreign born, who are from other nations. The first reason is because we share the greatest thing in common with them, the image of God. When we think about people from other nations, we tend to first focus on our differences. So different languages, different foods, different customs, different ways of dress. We, we see those differences first. I remember when I went on a mission trip uh, about 20 years ago, we went for a number of weeks to Central Asia, one of the former Soviet republics, and we got off the plane and we went downtown and we started meeting people. And 
I remember that the first few days of that trip, my mind was consumed by our differences. So I was noticing all these differences, and there, there were some pretty significant differences. I remember um, their cuisine was a little bit different. When they served you meat, rather than cut the fat off the meat and throw it away, they got rid of the meat and served you the fat. So in their culture, cubes of pure lamb fat were the delicacy, and that, that's what they wanted to reward you with, and that took a little time to get used to. Um, I remember a second thing that was different was their, their, their opinion of personal space. Um, they were close talkers and close sitters, even if you were on a bus and there were 20 seats open next to you, they sat right next to you and put their hand on your knee. And I remember I spent like the whole first three days, like in this position right here, like, like trying to create a little bit more space for myself. And so for the first few days, I just consumed with the differences. But after a while, once I got to know a number of people from this ethnic, ethnic group, I, I realized, you know what, actually there's a lot more we have in common than that we have different. I I began to see that these guys have the exact same fears as me. And these guys have the exact same desires as me. And these guys have the exact same needs as me. And there's far more that we share in common than that differentiates us. And at the top of the list, the greatest thing of all is that we were all made equally in the image of God. And that's actually like the most important thing about you. If you've ever wondered, what are you? What makes you you? What makes you valuable? Top of the list, you were made in the image of God. And that's true of all human beings on an equal basis. I'll I'll take us back to a passage we've read often. It is one of the most important passages anywhere in the Bible. It's right at the beginning. Genesis 1, it defines what it is to be human. God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The image of God in you is the most important thing about you. It's what makes you human, and it's available to all humans, regardless of gender or race or nationality, country of birth, economic status, all made equally in the image of God. Now, what does that phrase mean, image of God in humanity. Well, first of all, being made in the image of God means you can relate to God as your father. That is uniquely true of human beings, but it is true of all human beings. All humans on earth are invited by God to cry out to him as dad. All are invited to to come to him as father. So first, we're able to relate to God as our father. Second, what makes us part of the image of God is we uniquely are able to, to radiate or reflect the glory of God in our moral choices and one day when we're resurrected in our physical bodies. We will radiate God's glory. That is true of all human beings on an equal basis. Now, for those human beings who are not yet followers of Jesus, the image of God is in them, but it's not activated yet. They're, they're not yet crying out to God as Father. They're not yet following Jesus, but, but the potential is there. It is their birthright as human beings. They are made in the image of God, and that common image of God unites all of us, and it transcends all of our differences. It's infinitely more important than everything that differentiates us, and that's really important to, to spend some time talking about and thinking about. From a biblical perspective, there is no us versus them. There is only us. There's only one group of humankind, one humanity, all made in the image of God. What we share in common is far more important than what differentiates us. We need to talk about that 
Because we live at a time and in, a, in an environment where our political discourse, what you hear on the airwaves, what you see on TV, it tends to divide us. It tends to make us think about people in, in different groups, to accentuate the differences. So our politics tends to label people. That's what politics does. Labels them, them, us, us. It tends to divide us. It tends to, to focus and fixate on the, the differences between us, dividing our people, our culture, our interests from the people, culture, and interests of other nations and groups. And, and our politics, it tends to stoke fear of the other because that's how politics works. They're trying to get you to vote. And so they try to stoke fear because fear will get you to the voting booth. Fear about all of them out there. And so all of that politics tends to warp and distort how we think about people from other nations. So you meet somebody from Mexico or or Central America and and politics, the political discourse, tends to bring to your mind all of this toxic debate about immigration and border security and all of that. And it keeps you from seeing that first and foremost, this person is made in the image of God. First and foremost, they are like me. Welcome to call God their father. That's far more important than any of this other stuff. Or we meet somebody from the Middle East and all of our politics tends to warp our perception and we think first about terrorism and extremism and we feel fear of them instead of remembering they're made in the image of God. They're beautiful. They're they're lovely. They're, They're cared about by God. They're valuable to God. They're as valuable to God as I am. So we must not let our politics keep us from seeing something so good, so beautiful, that all people on earth, of all nations, we are all together made in the image of God. That is far more important than anything that would separate us. We are called to love others and connect with others and be friends with others from other nations, from other ethnic groups, because we share so much in common. We are all made equally in the image of God, and that unites us all together and is infinitely more important than anything that would divide us. That's the first reason that God wants you to form more friendships with people from other nations, because we are all his fellow image bearers. Second reason why God wants us to care about and form deep friendships with people who were born elsewhere is because God loves the nations deeply. If you want to know, what what does God care about? What is God like? What does God love? Well, you can go to the most famous verse in the whole Bible. What's that one? Teach every child. John three sixteen. It's right there at the beginning. For God so loved the world. Not, not, not just the United States. Not just Brian College Station. But the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. God's love for the world is for the world. For every nation. Every people group. Every ethnicity. God loves all. And it's important to define. What do we mean when we say God loved the world? Well God's love is defined in this verse. It's not just a feeling or a sentiment. What is it? It's a sacrifice. God's love for the world. Is his sacrifice of his own son for the world. To be savior of the world. Of all people groups. Of every nation. God loves all. He loves all of us, and so he wants all of us to be saved. That's the point of 1 Timothy 2. I've read this often before. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
That's what God wants for every person on the planet, regardless of nation, country of origin, ethnicity. All he wants them to be saved, to come to know Jesus. So it's important to understand that God desires salvation as much for the cartel boss in Mexico and the the ISIS gunman in Syria and the despot who runs North Korea as he desires it for your son or daughter. That's what God wants for every person on earth equally and infinitely. He wants salvation. He wants all to come to know his love found in Jesus Christ. And we're told indeed God will save people from every ethnicity, from every nation, from every place. We're told that at the end of the story in the book of Revelation chapter 7, we're given a view into the end. So what is coming in the future? After this, John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what God would say is his ideal church service. It's like, what what would God want if he was coming to Grace Bible Church on a Sunday morning? He would want this, everybody, all languages represented, worshiping together, all ethnic groups, all cultures, all socioeconomic levels, all together, loving and worshiping in joy and peace. That's what's beautiful to God. I I haven't seen that before, but I have gotten a taste of it. And, And maybe you have had moments where, where you have been able to celebrate or worship with, with people whose language is different than your own. I got to see this about four months ago. Um, I have a good friend named Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is Hispanic. She serves on our board with OnRamp, and, and back in December... We got to get the Trevino family a car, and Mr. Trevino there on the left, he doesn't speak English at all. He, he speaks only Spanish. And so I asked Elizabeth, who's on my right, um, to pray and to pray in Spanish. And so she did, and everybody gathered around. She prayed this beautiful prayer in Spanish. I don't know Spanish. So I didn't know the words, but I knew that prayer. I knew it. I knew exactly where she was going. You could sense the joy and love that were so deep in this prayer that my sister, Elizabeth, spoke to the Lord and that gave me a glimpse. This is what delights God. People from different ethnic groups, different nationalities coming together to celebrate the love of Christ. That's what God delights in. That's what God wants. He wants you to form deep friendships with people of other nations and other nationalities because he loves them so deeply. That's the second reason that God wants you to form those friendships with people who are not born in the United States. Third reason, God wants us to form those relationships because he expects us to bless the nations. That's, that's what God expects you and I to do with our lives. Like, what, What's God want you to do with, with all the stuff you have, all the stuff you be? He wants you to bless the nations. And, and you can't bless the nations. You can't bless people from other nations unless you get to know them. You've you got to form friendships with them. God wants us to bless. And, and here's an important principle for you. I, I think we've talked about this before if you've been here for a while. But God has blessed us specifically so that we can be a blessing to others, including other nations. That's kind of how blessing works. When God blesses you, whatever it might be, a spiritual blessing, relational blessing, material blessing, monetary blessing, he wants you to enjoy it, but he blesses you for the explicit purpose of you turning around and blessing someone without. 
That's, why he, that's always why he blesses you. So you can be a blessing. That goes all the way back to the beginning. When God called Abraham, the forefather of the Jewish nation, God blessed Abraham big time. Huge covenant promises, wonderful blessings. Look at the passage. Here it is, Genesis 26. God is speaking, sojourn in this land that God had given, and I will be with you and will bless you. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, will give to your offspring all these lands, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Notice the last phrase there. Why did God give Abraham all that wealth and all that land and all those descendants? So that his blessed family could become a blessing to all nations on earth. Well, most of us are not Jews in this room, so we're not genetic descendants of Abraham, but if we've trusted in Jesus, we've been grafted in. We have become part of Abraham's family and therefore have inherited Abraham's blessings, but with the blessings, we also get what? The responsibilities. We have inherited the obligations of Abraham to take our blessings and share them with others. And so let me give you some practical examples of that. There's a million that we could talk about. I'll just, I'll just give you a couple I have some, some friends of mine who are very, very wealthy and are very convicted by the fact that we who speak English are phenomenally blessed with lots of Bibles. So you probably have a Bible in front of you right now. Um, there's some in the seat back uh, that you might have it on your phone. If you can read English, you have at least a few dozen very, very good translations of the original Hebrew and Greek. Not only do you have that, but you have somewhere in the hundreds of millions of printed English Bibles on shelves in different places. And you have an uncountable number of English Bible study resources, commentaries and, and books that walk you through. If you speak or read English, you are blessed with a wealth of biblical resources. Well, that convicted my wealthy friends to look around the world and realize that there's a lot of languages that don't have any of the Bible yet. Like, they, they don't have any of it. There's no, no app they can open up because there's it, nothing in their language. There's no book. They can, it's never been written yet. And so they feel convicted. That leads them. We're blessed, so it inspires them to be a blessing. And so they give richly to ministries that are translating the Bible into languages that haven't yet gotten it. And so an example would be, I grew up with a girl, a good friend of mine. Um, she got married at a, at a young age, and she and her husband moved to Papua New Guinea, where they have raised their whole family. In the jungles of Papua New Guinea, they spent their entire life there. Why? If you know anything about Papua New Guinea, it's a relatively small island. It's, it's, there's like 400 different languages on that island, and many of them are not yet written languages. They're just oral. There's no words yet. So they go into a people group, and what do they have to do? First, they have to invent a language. Like invent an alphabet and, and design the alphabet and teach them the alphabet. And they have to translate our Bible into that alphabet. And they have to teach all the people how to read the Bible in their alphabet. And so they've dedicated their entire life to that because they recognize you and I, we speak English, we're blessed. That blessing is wonderful. Enjoy it. But realize blessing obligates you to be a blessing to someone without And so they've given their lives to that. That's true in every area of life. If you are blessed with wealth, you are obligated to share it to those who don't have it. If you're blessed with religious freedom, which all of you are, you're here with me this morning, we are obligated to pray for and support those who don't have the blessing of religious freedom. So when you look at all the blessings we have, at the top of the list, the greatest blessing of all, we know Jesus. We have been told the gospel, the good news, that's what gospel literally means, the good news is, That there is a God in heaven who sent his son Jesus. 
who died for our sins and rose from the dead so we could have eternal life as an absolute free gift. We know that good news. We, we have heard that salvation, heaven, is an absolutely free gift. That's amazing news. You don't work for it at all. God just gives you this free gift of eternal life. All you have to do is say, yes, God, I want that. I believe Jesus earned that for me by dying for me and rising from the dead. Yes, I receive eternal life. And the moment you receive that, you're forgiven. You, you enter into a relationship with God. You get heaven, all of that. Incredible blessing. The fact that you have that blessing obligates you to share it with those who don't yet know. And so that's the point of a very significant verse in Scripture, Acts 1.8. These are the words of Jesus. He says, you, he's speaking to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and in the end of the earth. To be a witness means that you're, you're a person called to, to testify to the truth of something. You're testifying to the world that something is true. What is true? That Jesus, the Son of God, died for their sins, rose from the dead, so they could have eternal life as a free gift. You are called to to testify, to share that truth with people all around the world. And and Jesus lists off, he kind of divides up the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's like concentric circles. Guess what? You're you're part of the end of the earth, because we're like on the other side of the planet. From Jerusalem, we have the gospel, but there's lots of parts of the end of the earth that don't yet have it. And so we are called, we are commanded by God to take this blessing we've received, the good news of the gospel, and share it with people who don't yet know. Okay, so when we look at our relationship to the nations, what we can say is that God wants each and every one of us to care deeply about people born in other countries and form friendships with them. Whether we go to them or they come to us, we are called to form deep, meaningful friendships with them because, number one, they are made in the image of God just like us, and we need to show that to the world by building these deep relationships. Second, God loves them deeply. They are near and dear to his heart. And third, God has commanded us to share our blessings with them, to share what we've been given with them. So, God expects us to to form these relationships with people who weren't born in the United States. How do we do that? Let's get practical for a little bit. How do we actually show our care for people who are foreigners? Whether we go to them or they come to us, how do we show them the love of Christ? How do we connect with them and form friendships with them? I'm going to kind of divide up this practical advice into kind of two groups. So the first group is doing it here. So as long as you stay here in Bryan College Station, how do you share the love of Christ with people not born here? How do you form deep and abiding friendships with them? Well, you you don't have to work hard to find them. They're they're all among us. Um, They're all over the place. Here's statistics from a couple years ago. In 2018, there were 6,200 international students at Texas A&M. From 131 different countries, the most common countries represented on the TAMU campus are people born in India, China, South Korea, and Mexico. So there's international students all over the place, all over this town. If you take not only them, but everyone here in the Brazos Valley, in Bryan College Station, who was born outside the United States, it's 12% of the population, which is 30,000 people. Here in our midst, they live among us. They shop among us, they learn with us, they work with us, they're all over the place. So you have lots of opportunity to meet them. You should see them in your neighborhoods, in your apartment complexes, at the store, at work, everywhere. You see them. So how should you treat them? 
When you meet somebody who is from another place, another country, how are you called to treat them? To answer that, we can go back to the Old Testament, to the law, where Israel was instructed about how they were to treat foreigners in their midst. So people who were born in other nations, who moved to the nation of Israel, how are they to be treated? So Leviticus 19, the foreigner who resides with you must be to you like a native citizen among you. So you must love him as yourself because you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. That is a high bar. You, You must love the foreigner like you love yourself. And remember the definition of love in the Bible. It's not about a feeling. It's about a sacrifice. We're to sacrifice for the foreigner among us to the same level that we'd sacrifice for our own kids, for ourselves. We're to love them to that extent. We're to love these people, whether or not they're citizens. It it doesn't matter. We're we're to love them and show them the love of Christ in sacrificial and servant-hearted ways. So that's Leviticus 19. Here's another key passage, Leviticus 23. When you gather in the harvest of your land, you must not completely harvest the corner of your field and you must not gather up the gleanings of your harvest. You must leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I'm the Lord your God. So God's expectation was those of us who have wealth, those of us who, who we, we have sufficient wealth to meet all our needs, we're to leave some of it over, we're to give some of it to the poor, and we give it to the poor, we're to give equally to citizen and non-citizen. We're, we're to give to all who are in need. Okay, so with those biblical ideas in mind, now let's get practical. How does this actually play out in our lives? I'm going to give you a few examples. There's many more if we had more time, but, but here's a few really practical ways. So how do you care for foreigners who are right here? Well, the first and, and easiest way is by participating in the big giveaway. So as a church, we've been doing the big giveaway for over two decades now. Um, what we recognized a long time ago is these thousands of international students who are coming to Texas A&M, showing up off the plane in the middle of August and moving into their dorm room or apartment, they're probably not able to bring furniture with them, right? And they don't have family here to provide the furniture. They show up, they're given a big box of a room and told, okay, now live. Well, they need some help. They need furniture. Many of them bring their families. They bring kids. They come from nations that that don't have the kind of GDP that we do. They need help. And so as a church, over 20 years ago, we started collecting furniture throughout the year, and we give away hundreds of sets of furniture in the middle of every August to these international students showing up to bless them with the love of Christ. Because in that moment, the love of Christ looks like what? A nice bed. It looks like a nice furniture, right? So we're showing them tangibly the love of Christ. And then even bigger than the furniture, that gives us the opportunity when we deliver the furniture to get to know them, to become friends with them, to invite them into our homes, to begin to form that deep friendship that God wants so deeply for us. So I encourage you to get involved with the big giveaway. I've given you the address there on the website. So you just go to our website, grace-bible.org, backslash big giveaway, and you'll get all the information. It's such a big event now that it's already going on now. It's like a year-long event, gathering all the furniture, pulling everything together, signing up volunteers. We'd love to have you go and get involved with that. The event is so big also, it's not just the day of the giveaway now. We have multiple things leading up and following it. So lots of ways that's something for our whole church, all campuses to band together and bless all of these folks showing up from the nations we want their first impression of our city to be this is a place where i experience the love of jesus that's what we want them to experience their first day here second friendship connection so this one again easy website grace-bible.org backslash international 
This is our ministry where volunteers at Grace help internationals work on their English. And so work on conversational English, develop that skill. It's a very practical need. And in doing that, you form a friendship, you form a bond, and you get to share with them the love of Jesus in your own life. So that's a really practical one. Another idea, you could serve with a charity here in our community that helps out people who are born elsewhere. An example is Habitat for Humanity, Brazos Valley, which is one of our primary uh, groups that we sponsor with Southwood. So Southwood is involved with Habitat for Humanity. If you don't know much about them, they build affordable housing for families in need in our community. And many of those families are foreign born and they come here and they need help. And and Habitat is how we step up and help. I I heard about them. I learned about one of these families this week from Habitat. Her name is Graciela Garza. Graciela uh, immigrated to the United States about 30 years ago, moved to Texas with her husband looking for a better life. Tragically, 21 years ago, he died suddenly of cancer, leaving her behind with four little kids, just her and four kids. She had no money, so her pastor let her use one room that he had. So she and four kids lived in that one room on one bed. They slept all together, five people on one bed, and there was no hope for anything more. She had no family. She had no one to take care of her. She was really without hope until Habitat for Humanity stepped in, and and they adopted her as a client and worked with her, and with her own hands, they helped her to build her own home for her and her kids, and over the last about 20 years, her and her kids have lived in that home. It's been a source of stability for them, blessing them. Now, all four of her kids have graduated from high high school. Almost all of them went to college. All of them have families of their own. They all are blessed because of the stability that a home has afforded them. And the really cool thing is just last year, Graciela paid her last mortgage payment on the house. She now owns that home free and clear, which how many of us can say that? It's pretty awesome that Christians stepped in and said, we want to show the love of Christ to somebody who's from another country who's come here to America and needs practical help. We'd love to have you get involved with Habitat. Uh, The next build date is actually about a week and a half from now or about a week, something like that. You can sign up today to build with Habitat for Humanity. Go to our website and it's an event. Um, on our website, uh, Build Day for Habitat. Or you can talk to anyone at the office. Every couple months, we're going to have a Build Day where a bunch of us are going to go out and work on whatever the next house is, whatever the next project. We'd love to have you do that. So showing the love of Christ in a practical and tangible way for people from other nations who live among us. Okay, so that's the first practical set of steps. Now let's talk about going there. Because for some of us, we're going to have to go. And we're going to have to connect with other nations where they live. And, and so now it's time for us to get to the verse that I couldn't leave out. If any of you are here and you know, well, this is a sermon about the nations and Blake didn't get to the Great Commission, it would be time to fire me because that is the most common passage used in any of these kind of sermons. It's Jesus's famous Great Commission, his last words in the book of Matthew. So basically, this is Jesus's marching order for his church. This is our job description in life, Matthew 28. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Let's uh, define that phrase, make disciples. It's a very churchy word. It sounds like a very churchy thing. Make disciples is explained though in the verse. What does it look like to make a disciple? Well, you baptize them and then you teach them everything Jesus taught us. 
That's as simple as it is. So making disciples is more than just conversion. Baptism isn't enough. We we baptize, but then we also teach them to observe everything Jesus taught us, including this verse. So we teach them to make disciples of other people. So we're commanded to make disciples of all nations. And I I think it's important to recognize this is literally the last thing Jesus said in the book of Matthew. It is his marching orders for all of us. So this, this defines for you what your primary job in life is. So if you were thinking that your primary job in life is to go to college, uh, find a place to work, buy a house, and raise a family, no, that's not. That's not why you're here. That's not God's primary job in your life. Um, It is significant to note Paul, as best we can tell, didn't go to college. Amy Carmichael, one of the most famous missionaries ever, didn't get married. Jesus didn't have kids. So like if the goal of life is have kids, Jesus failed. So clearly that's not it. Now, those things aren't your job. Those are all good things. Nothing wrong with those, but that's not why you're here. Interestingly, you know why also you're not here? Well, to come to church. This isn't your job description in life. You should come to church. It's a really good thing. But God didn't leave you on this planet to come to church because the stuff you do here, you'll do better there. Like everything we've done this morning. Like the worship, great job, guys. It's going to be better up there. The teaching, I mean, you got me, but up there you've got like Paul or Jesus himself. Why would you want to stay here with me? So... Everything we're doing here this morning is going to be better up there. So why did God leave you here? For this. To make disciples of all the nations. You can't do that in heaven. That's your job here. For all of us. Whether we go, whether we stay. For all of us, our task on earth is to make disciples. And some of us are going to have to go. That first word. Some of us are going to have to go. Because there's a lot of nations with no witness of Jesus. So here's a map of the world. And all the the people groups. So a people group is kind of a a group of people, uh, typically smaller than a nation. It's a group of people united by typically common language, common customs, common sense of identity. And this map is seeking to show, of all the people groups on earth, where are the ones who haven't yet been reached by the gospel? Meaning, different depending on who you talk to, but typically that means less than 2% of the population is a gospel-believing Christian. And so they don't have enough gospel-believing Christians yet to evangelize or to share the good news of Jesus with that people group unless they have outside help. So in this map, red are totally unreached, orange are minimally reached, so kind of underreached groups, and notice where they are. There's a little bit of red in the United States. None here in Texas, a bit in the United States, but where's most of it? North Africa, Central, uh, Middle East, and South Asia. That's by far where most of the unreached people groups are. So if we're going to reach them, what do we got to do? Well, some of you have to go. Some of you can't stay here in God's station. You, you got to go. You got to get on a plane or a boat, however you want to get there, and you got to go. Whether for a short-term project or a long-term project or the rest of your life, you must go. I'll give you an example of one of those red dots. Uh, The Sheikh people, there's 133 million Sheikhs who live in Bangladesh, and there are zero Christians among them. Their percentage of evangelical believers among the Sheikh people is zero. There's no one there. No, No church yet. Now, is God working? Yes, but God is calling us to go. Could God save them through dreams or through angelic messengers? Of course, but he's told us in the Bible, that's not plan A. That's not what God desires. What God desires is us. We're plan A. God wants us to go and share the good news with the Sheikh people of Bangladesh and and all the unreached people on earth. So for some of you, you got to go. And if you feel like, God, I, I think you might be calling me to go, you can go to our website 
grace-bible.org and backslash mission trips. So just mission hyphen trips. And you'll find out about all of our short-term trips. These are short duration overseas mission trips that give you an opportunity to, to kind of get your feet wet and see what this might look like for you. What might it look like to go to the nations? If you're ready to, to learn about more, like how could I go long term? How could I go even bigger than that? Um, what I want you to do is when you go in the foyer after the service, right in front of you, there's a wall painted gray. And on the top of the wall, it says, love the nations, really conveniently. So go to the wall that says, love the nations. And there you will meet either Tracy Toon or Chris McGuffey and just say, hey, I want to know more. What would it look like to go to the nations? Um, go talk to one of them after the service today. So Tracy or Chris are ready to talk to you about that. So some of you need to go. Every single one of us who doesn't go, we have to support. So through prayer and through financial giving, you can't be uninvolved. That's not an option Jesus gave you. Like this is your job. So you either go or you pray and support here in the United States, those who are going. So to pray and support, well, good news is if you give any money to Grace Bible Church, a large portion goes directly to missionaries. We as a church support 100 missionaries or about there on the field financially. So a big chunk of your money goes directly to those missionaries. However, I've found, and I know others of you have found this, um, your care for the nations goes up significantly when you support a particular missionary you know. So then it gets personal. If you, if you have a particular missionary that you know, you get to know their family, you get to know the people group that they're serving, you pray for their specific needs, you give to their specific needs. So many of you already know one or more missionary families out there. Our encouragement is give there first. That's, that's the primary opportunity for you to give and form that deep partnership with them. If you don't know any missionaries, then again, go to the gray wall in the foyer, go to the Love the Nations wall, talk to Tracy or Chris and just say, I would like a missionary to support. And what they'll do is talk to you about, okay, what, what parts of the world do you particularly care about? What, what people group might you be interested in? They'll help you kind of connect and find a missionary that is serving in a place that God is leading your heart to, so that you can support them directly and pray for them and give to them. All of us have a role to play. You're, you're either getting on a plane and going, or you're here giving and supporting those who do go. All of us are called to build deep and lasting friendships with people who are not from here. Whether we go there or, or whether they come here, we must build those deep friendships. We must connect. We, we must get to know and love them because that's what God loves. That's what God's called us to do. And so I want to pray and ask God to help each and every one of us build those deep relationships with people from other nations. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that when you say that you are our Father, what you mean by that is you are a Father to every person on this planet. You offer yourself as Savior, as Father for everyone. You invite everyone to cry out to you for salvation equally, God. You offer eternal life equally to everyone of every ethnicity, every socioeconomic level. Everyone is offered eternal life freely. We praise you for that. We thank you, Father, that that you love everyone on this planet. We thank you that you want to work in our hearts to help us to do the same. Lord, we pray that you would grow within each and every one of us a deeper and and stronger love for people who are not from the United States. People who either they've moved here, they live among us, or, or we have the opportunity to go to them and to form connections with them. We pray, God, that you would prick our hearts and help us to truly love them like you love them. I pray that our eyes and our focus would be on the nations, on showing them the sacrificial love of Christ, on on blessing them 
them with the blessings we have, sharing those blessings richly and sacrificially with the world. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would grow our church to be a source of love and grace to the nations, whether those nations are here in our midst or whether we go to them. Thank you so much, God, that you love us with this deep and abiding love. May we be a church that sends that love all over the earth so that all men and women might come to know you as Father. You are so good. We praise you, Heavenly Father. In your Son's name we say, Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a great week and go check out the Love the Nations wall. Talk to Tracy and Chris.